So as I say, my message today is this final message in the series Graffiti Church, and what we've been talking about is imagine the kind of graffiti that people would spray paint over the walls of the church, over the walls of your lives, if they gave us an honest reaction as to who they think we are and how well we're doing. And uh, at the heart of this is the idea that we want to give a good witness of Jesus. We want the people to know that we love God and that we love people. And the graffiti that I would love to be spray painted, I mean, I'm, I'm only speaking metaphorically because, of course, it is illegal, and please don't try this at home, folks. But anyway, it's a, the kind of message that I'd like people to pick up is that God is enough. That we're not looking for satisfaction in things, but we are discovering in God the satisfaction of the deepest longings of our heart, and the moment we put Him first, then all the secondary things of life fall into place. But not only that God is enough, the second thing I'd like people to pick up about us is that people matter. This is the central part of the biblical revelation that God calls us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So in this third message, I'm going to be asking the provocative question, what is so wrong with religion? And you can tell by my tone that I think there's a whole lot wrong with religion. Larry Crabb in his writings, in the article that I'm referring to, says religion is the worst thing the devil has ever invented. And uh, we got to come to grips with this uh, reputation that we have of being very religious kind of people. In fact, when people talk to me and, and, and they say, well, you're religious, I kind of think I failed in some way. I would rather them say, wow, what an amazing relationship with God you have. But they more often interpret our activities as being merely, merely religious. Let's tackle this situation today. I'd like to turn you to a passage in Scripture, James chapter 1 and verse 27, that uses the word religion in a positive sense. It says, James chapter 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So here is a fairly rare mention of religion in the Bible in a positive sense, showing that there is something positive about wanting to reconnect with God and reconnect with one another. Now, they tell me that the word religion comes from the uh, Latin word religio, and, uh, which is in turn based on another Latin word meaning, uh, which is re, religare. I'm saying it not in a Latin accent, I'm saying it in an Italian accent, because that's the best I can do. Religare. And um, literally, it means to bind back or to tie back. And the Oxford English Dictionary suggests that this is something to do with obligations or duties. So religion has a lot to do with binding obligations and duties. And I don't think that's a very positive take on religion. 
But we can go back to the root, if that's indeed the real root of the word religion, and, and think about this idea of being bound in connection back to God and bound with one another. I kind of like that. If we can reconnect with God and reconnect with one another, then our religion is worthwhile. And James seems to be saying the same thing. He says, pure and undefiled religion is this. It's before God and it's about visiting orphans and widows in their trouble and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. James is using the word religion in, in quite a technical sense. He's, he's talking about how you demonstrate what you really believe. The external expression of your internal belief. And he talks about relationship with God. He talks about relationship with others. And he talks about a relationship with yourself. And all of this is positive. We'll come back to those things a little later on. But also James shows that there's something negative that we have to guard against. Uh, when he says pure and undefiled religion, he's surely saying there's a whole lot of religion that is not pure and not undefiled. Today we see acts of aggression and violence and, and torture and torment and murder and a whole mass of control and all kinds of stuff that gives religion a very, very bad reputation and 90% of the world is involved in religion in one way or another and we have to make sure, as we are part of that percentage, that our religion is pure and undefiled. What do we have to do to avoid impure, defiled, negative, demonic religion? Verse 26 of James 1 gives us some clues. Don't forget, James is talking about good religion, but he also thinks now describing stuff which is very negative, uh, the kind of religion we need to avoid. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And so we see uh, several reasons how religion or how, why religion can be very negative and stuff we need to avoid. The first thing here is deception. Just because you say this is my religious belief and I'm entitled to it doesn't mean to say you're not deceived. And if Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and if he said no one comes to the Father but by me and if Jesus is speaking the truth and he is who he says he is then it's a deception to think that there are many roads to God. If the Bible teaches that we come to God through Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his death and resurrection, then if anybody says there are other ways to come to God that bypass this, that's deception. James says you can actually think and be deceived. Think you're religious and be deceived. Another key thing here is hypocrisy. And James is saying, you know, you're all very well, you say that you're religious, but you break every rule in the book when you use this tongue to denounce people, to, to ridicule people, to criticize people. You don't have to be part of ISIS before you, before you commit murder on your fellow human being. If you hate somebody from your heart, it's like, like murder. You can destroy somebody with your mouth. You don't have to go through with it physically before actually you demonstrate you're of the same spirit that we see in these violent acts of religion. 
Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing something else. Hypocrisy is not aspiring to something and knowing that you've not yet attained it. Because that's all of us. What we aspire to, we don't live out in perfection, do we? We, we come short. But you know, it's, it's not as if we go around pretending we're perfect. We admit to the fact that there's, we have a very, very long way to go. We admit to the fact that we struggle and battle every day of the battle of self-centeredness and the battle of the flesh. But if we pretend to be something that we're not, if we don't fulfill our, our faith through our actions, then there's something lacking and our religion is useless. It's of no value to anyone, no value to God, no value to other people, and no value to ourselves. One of the things that we have to be aware of today is that religious organizations are charitable organizations if they fulfill one essential criterion, and that is the big question, what's the public benefit? What are you doing, which you call religion, that actually makes a difference to other people? Now, I'm really glad that the charity commissioners and, and charity lawyers and, and the state itself is reminding us of that. Because it's not enough just to say, well, I love God and I'm serving God in my own, my own kind of private way. We have to show the world that our faith makes a difference. So good religion is religion that really makes a difference, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people. Something else we need to know about uh, false religion. One of the definitions of false religion, in my mind, is that it's man-made. When God, when God initiates something, when God does something in this world, and we respond to his actions like, like the incarnation, Jesus came, like the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, all of these are the result of God's initiative, and we respond to God's initiative. We don't make it all up. We don't say, here's a good way to live. Let's invent a religion and, 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 and fill it with our own ideas. If it's coming from God, then as we follow that, it's a good thing. But much of religion does not come from God. Much of what is called religion doesn't come from God. It's people's philosophies, people's ideas, man-made rules, man-made regu regulations, man-made ways of, of worshipping rites and rituals and ceremonies. And even in the Christian church, these kind of man-made rules and regulations and rites and ceremonies and rituals can creep in. We have to keep our faith pure. Paul was struggling with a church that was getting involved in man-made religion. Colossians chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. And he's tackling it head on and exposing false man-made religion for what it really is. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, I want to underline that phrase and we'll come back to it, because man-made religion is following basic principles of the world. We'll explain that in a moment. So if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. 
which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look very wonderful, they look very spiritual, have an appearance in wisdom, but they are self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So this idea that we can invent rules and regulations, follow them, call it religion, and be holy, is absolutely wrong. But notice how enthusiastic we are in that direction. I believe there's something in us as fallen human beings that is incurably religious. Only Jesus can cure you and deliver you from religion. And what is it? It's this self-obsession in which we believe that we can do something to get something back for our lives. That we can find some principles by which we can manipulate God to get us to heaven or to give us a better life on earth. And we're very enthusiastic about that. And we have these demonstrative ostentation shows, ostentatious shows, religious observance, rights, rules, regulations, systems, and often it's negative. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't do the other. If you take alcohol, you're going to hell. Uh, Or if you do take alcohol, you're going to hell. I don't know what the difference is these days. Whatever rules and regulations people invent in order to show how holy they are. And sometimes the harsher the rules, the more holy we feel. There was a pastor who was preaching, and he was well known for preaching very, very strong messages. Uh, In the Curry Range, this is Vindaloo, maybe even Fal, whereas my messages are definitely sweet, Korma curry. But he would preach Vindaloos every Sunday and he'd preach and he'd preach so strong and he would preach stronger and people were feeling the pressure of this preaching as he lashed them with his tongue and, and roasted them over the fires of hell Sunday by Sunday and on the way I'd say, Pastor, that was a fabulous message. Give it to us again next Sunday. Nobody ever changed. But they thought, you know what? We're such miserable sinners and that to, to put up with this kind of preaching surely merits us a better life in heaven. It was their way of beating themselves and, 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 and punishing themselves. And this is the essence of a religion. What we can do which is rooted in the flesh, but we think we can present it in a spiritual way. And it's all based on what Paul, it was translated here as the basic principles of the world. I'd like to explain that for, for, for a moment. You know, we have a physical world, yes? And the physical world is governed by physical laws and physical principles. And science, over the centuries, has tried to discover these laws. And then to find ways of using those laws, somehow to control the physical world to our advantage. And praise God for that. We're sitting in a relatively modern, sophisticated building... And everything around us, we see the fruits of scientific inquiry and mastery of various physical laws. And it's good. uh, But then some people say, okay, if there are physical laws and we learn how to master the physical laws to control the physical world, maybe there are some spiritual laws that we can master to control the spiritual world. But it's all physics, where you might call it 
physics and metaphysics, but it's the same principle. What do I have to discover about the spiritual world to get what I want? And if physical laws can't help me, and I need something supernatural, then there must be some way that I can discover how to manipulate the spiritual world to get what I want out of life. That is the heart of religion. And in pointing to it today and condemning it as I'm doing so easily from the platform today, don't think that any of us, me included, are immune from those, that, that way of thinking. This religious spirit, which is external, moralistic, manipulative, this kind of religious spirit can creep into our lives as Christians because it belongs to that old flesh stuff that we're still struggling with. And at the bottom of it, it's, it's this idea of what can I do to influence God? What can I do to have God on my side? Have you noticed very religious people or, or those who are saying God is on their side? And so you might say, listen, I'm, I'm very religious. What does it mean? It means God is on my side. I am right and you are wrong. You're going to suffer because God is on my side. And what they mean by that is not just if God is for us, who can be against us? They mean they've got God in their pockets. And they've got all the techniques in their church as what to do. Tie this, tie that, do this, don't do the other, do this, smile more, pray more, say hallelujah more, say amen loudly in church services. <laughs> who fell into that? Our own church board member. Uh, and we, we have, it's very easy to find there are certain ways of reacting and responding that we think show how spiritual we are. Yea, verily, yea, verily, it stinketh, and it's called the flesh. Uh, that's, uh, by, by all means, there's a right way to say amen, and, and he was. I'm just playing with you. When you say amen, what you're saying is saying to the word of God, yes, I agree, and I want everything that your word declares for me. So there's a good, that, there's a good thing. But if it's just empty... I mean, we were, we were talking about selling the story one day about how point and flip in the Bible is, is, not, is not a good thing. Let's get a word from God. And uh, this is the old story. A lot of preachers tell it. So it must have some truth somewhere. And somebody was asking for direction and guidance from God. And, oh, Lord, I need a word and a word. Oh, oh. Uh, um, and Judith went and hanged himself. Oh, uh, the, that doesn't sound like a good word. Over the page, go and do thou likewise. That doesn't seem a good And at this particular point, somebody in the church said, Amen. Any kind of repetitious, unthinking thing that we think we do is to make ourselves look good, look spiritual, to get God's attention, to get other people's attention. It's stinking fleshly religion. Don't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> okay, so when we analyze this a little bit and ask what, what is religion all about? And I'm talking about the false negative stuff. What is it all about? Well, there's two big things here. First of all, the question is, what must I do to gain the good life now and eternal life in the future? In other words, what must I do to gain salvation and what must I do to get satisfaction here on earth? The way of salvation points to 
many ways, focuses on life after death. And the common belief is, is that we get to heaven by being good, by doing something that will impress God enough that he'll take notice of it and say, wow, 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 that merits heaven. This is our natural, legalistic, fallen human nature that is very proud of what we can do. And I think, it is, I think it is true, I've studied most of the major religions at university and so forth and keep, keep abreast, I think it's fa- fairly true that, there, that, that most of the religions are all about what you must do in order to qualify for heaven. And by that definition, Christianity is not a religion at all because it's all about what God has done for you to take you to heaven by His grace. It's not of works. It's not of our merit. There's no boasting allowed. It's all of God's grace. It's, it's free. Heaven is a free gift. It's neither earned nor deserved. And also the Bible shows us that who paid the price for that? Because it costs... It costs more than you and I could ever pay. We could be in hell forever and still not pay. But it was paid on the cross when Jesus died and he made that declaration, that triumphant declaration. It is finished. The debt has been paid. Our salvation comes through Christ, through the cross, what he did on the cross, because there he paid the price for our sin fulfilling the biblical revelation without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins without the sacrifice there's no salvation and when Jesus died on the cross he paid the price he satisfied the father's justice he satisfied the father's honor he satisfied the father's wrath against a sinful humanity a price had to be paid and God paid it himself through Christ. And this is very important because more and more people today are saying, well, why was that necessary? All this blood and guts, that's disgusting. We don't need a sacrifice. We're just good people. We don't need that kind of stuff. The cross shows you how sinful and lost we are without without Christ. It was only by the blood of Jesus. But let me help you with this. Some people say, Oh, so easy, you know, I can just forgive you and you can just forgive me. I'm not looking for any price to be paid. Why, why can't God do that? Let me give you an illustration. Uh, suppose somebody here, and this is a nice thought, so I'll play with it a little bit. Suppose somebody here in the first two or three rows owed me, Colin Dye, 1,000 pounds. It's not true, I'm just fantasizing. And suppose that person came to me and said, Colin, I can't pay. Will you forgive me? And I said, yes, of course I forgive you. You are free from your debt. Have I avoided a price? Or have I paid for the price myself? If somebody owes me a thousand pounds, I'm out of pocket a thousand pounds, and if I forgive that debt, it means that I have suffered the loss. I have carried the price. That's the concept of forgiveness in the Bible. To forgive somebody 
always costs. And, and when you and I forgive, we're not bothered sometimes about the price. If you're nasty to me and I, never mind, I'll forgive you because I was probably nasty to you. But when we come up to God's level, he is the final authority. He is the moral governor of the whole universe. He is obliged by his own righteousness and nature to put right every wrongs, to fix every injustice, to ensure that every debt is paid. And if he wants to forgive, which he does in his love, he wants to forgive, the price must still be paid. And if we had to pay the price, we could never be saved. So his wonderful plan of salvation is to send Jesus to pay the price. And therefore, God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. That's the gospel. And there is no religion on earth that has anything like that by way of doctrine or teaching. Only the Christian faith carries that, uh, that uh, revelation. So that is about uh, the way of salvation, life after death. What about life before death? <laughs> and uh, this is where most of us live. As some, some, some people, well, we all live here, <laughs> of course we all do, but this is where most of us focus our attention. We're quite happy to say, thank God I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm around now, so God, what are you going to do about that? So religion doesn't just try to take care of this life after death question, it also tries to take care of life before death, in other words, life on this planet. So now it's not the way of salvation that we're seeking, but the way of satisfaction. And this is where religion steps in full-time, big-time, because religion is about how you manipulate God, how you control God to win him over onto your side so that you kind of think there's this deal. Now, when I'm talking about this, I, I'm not just pointing the finger at religions outside of the Christian church, okay? I'm saying we are prone also to begin to treat God in the same way. And uh, this is how it goes. Okay, God, here's the deal. If I obey you and do the things you want me to do, then you also must do for me the things I want you to do. Good deal, Lord. Let's go. Let's call it Christianity. Let's do it. Let's go for it. So God, if I do A, you're going to give me B. What does B stand for? B stands for blessings. B stands for the better life. Oh God, ever since you come into my life, I've been blessed. I've got good stuff in my life. Thank you, God. It's working and he says, it's not the deal. Never mind, it's working. Okay, let me, let me see now. What if I began to deny you some blessings and take you to another letter in the alphabet, S for suffering? <laughs> That's not the deal. That's not the deal, God. The deal is, I be a good boy, I do what you want, and you do what I want. That's fair, fair. There's no fair, square, kiff, kiff, even Stevens deal with God. It's all about total surrender to him. Give Jesus a big praise in this house today. And it really is so simple. 
if we get it right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. If something's added to the first, it is a second thing. All these things shall be added. Put God first. First things first. And trust him for the rest. There's no manipulative ABC, basic principles of manipulating God. Manipulating God. Doesn't work. It's not the deal. And worse than that, ladies and gentlemen, it is a terrible bondage to try and live in that world. Just think of the consequences. We go to the Lord's Prayer. Everybody remember the Lord's Prayer? We don't recite it often here. Maybe we should, because it's not a prayer so much to be recited as principles that govern all our praying. But it starts like this. Our Father in heaven... Oh, come on. Aren't we, haven't, got any con- haven't we got any Anglicans here today? <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come. May thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. The religious way of praying that is, God, you're my father. Thank God for that. That's wonderful. Now, because I'm your son, I'm entitled to some stuff. Of course, it's all for your glory in heaven, but here's what I really want. I want my will to be done in heaven as it's done on earth. That's what I want. I said it so quickly, some of you didn't get it. In other words, we try to bring God into the picture to give us what we want. May my will be done. And I, I'll learn some techniques in prayer. I will pray, it doesn't work. I'll shout, it doesn't work. I'll pray in tongues, it doesn't work. I'll pray with fasting. I'll pray with fasting and giving. I'll pray with fasting and, and giving and, and groaning. Okay, will that do it? I'm praying, I'm praying loudly. I'm praying loudly in tongues. I'm praying with spiritual warfare. I'm adding giving to my praying. And I'm groaning, praying, giving, groaning, giving. Oh God, when are you going to show up for goodness sake? It doesn't work. It's bondage. And imagine the consequences. Now, RT is, uh, is away ministering in, 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 um, in America at the moment, and Louise is here. And RT has a story. Stick around, you'll, you'll get it. And the story is, thank God for unanswered prayer. Now imagine if God answered every one of your prayers and gave you your will. Be careful what you wish for. You may just get it. Say, God knows what we need better than our asking for it. He does. That's why we surrender it all to him and say, God, yes, I know. I know that you've told me to ask and I shall receive and I believe that. But God, I want to pray truly in a way that leaves the outcome to you. And, and if you give me a sneak preview of what you really want to do in my life, I will flow with that. Whenever we step back from any situation and say, God, what do you really want in my life? What do you really want in another person's life? God will show us. And his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And when we truly flow in the spirit of intercession, which is flowing with the revelation of God as he shows us what to pray for, then prayer becomes an exciting 
cooperative partnership with God in which he anoints our prayers and directs our prayers, educated and illuminated by scripture and, and set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Now suddenly prayer is an exciting venture with God seeing his will established on the earth. That's so much better than getting our will done. Really, really it is. And Jesus spoke about this in talking about the bondage and burnout of religion. I want, you to, to, I want to turn you to Matthew 11, and it is in the Message Bible. The Message Bible. Message Bible is a kind of translation sermon type uh, 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 interpretation of Scripture. It's not literal translation, and there's a little bit of sermonizing in it. And uh, Eugene Peterson very skillfully, at various points in his Message Bible, gives us some um, sermonic or sermon-type insight into the meaning of the text. And I think he's got it right on here. Matthew 11, Jesus is addressing the crowds who are in bondage to the old way religion, and he's come to bring them life, come to set them free from the bondage of religion. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. He's come to set us free from the bondage of religion. All that came before me are liars and robbers. And anybody that denounces me afterwards is a liar and a robber. I've come to give you life. Not religion, but life. And so, he addresses these people in these words in Eugene Peterson's, Peterson's translation Verse 28 to 30. Now, what I'm about to announce is better than a Thompson's holiday. All right? So sit back, relax, and if you feel like tipping the bus conductor afterwards, he'll be here at the front. Okay. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Now, when I read that, I see something desirable and hopefully attainable. And that's a confession. If you just pause there and just hear what I said, that's a confession coming directly from this pulpit that I find it difficult to be in that place where I am not striving, where I am not still trying to prove myself to God. I find that difficult. Because the old Colin Dye is a religious person. But the new Colin Dye in Christ, the life of Christ in me, is not, is a liberated person who knows that Jesus has paid the price and he's called me to keep company with him and to walk with him. And when you walk with him, you are working with him. It's talking about a yoke being yoked, the yoke of the kingdom, we are yoked to Christ. Yes, there's stuff to do. Our faith must be put into practice. Our faith must make a difference. 
Not just in our hearts, beginning there of course, but make a difference in how we live, and how we talk, how we relate, what we do in the world. And when we do that, the graffiti people will be out again, spraying on the graffiti of our church, saying, look at how much they love one another. Somebody else spray painting away. Look at their good works. We can glorify their God. This is real, people. Let's get into it. That's the kind of thing. I find it difficult. There's always something more. If we're not careful, and the devil is always accusing us, and when he's on holiday, most of your Christian friends will do the devil's work for him by accusing you and rubbishing you and tearing you down. You have to be so close to Jesus that all of that is water off a duck's back because you know that God is your father, Christ is your elder brother, and the Holy Spirit is God's new life. In you. That's not religion. It's not about self-effort of reaching God, not about finding out what we must do to get what we want. It's relationship with God, surrendering to Him in all His glory, finding our place in His story, not trying to make Him a co-producer of our own life story. Hallelujah. The way of salvation is through faith alone. And the way of satisfaction is not in any of the second things, but it is about focusing on God and and discovering that he really is, he himself is the answer to the deepest longings in us that no things, that nothing, no things, people, places, possessions, or anything else can ever fulfill. But this is not like you give your life to Jesus and you live in perfect painless satisfaction. No, 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 no. Sometimes our satisfaction in Jesus is only discovered when all hell breaks loose in our lives and around us. That's the truth. It's a painful truth, but it is is the truth. That we only know how we depend on him alone when the things we depend on are removed from our lives. It's, a, it's, it's a, a, a painful truth. And I don't feel great pleasure in announcing it. But actually, because it is the truth, it glorifies God for you to know that God is not, at this time, committed to your comfort. First thing. He's committed to your sanctification. He wants Christ to be formed in you. And so very often the things that, bad stuff doesn't come from God. We dealt with that. That's Lucifer. That's that's not God. Bad stuff doesn't come from God. Every good thing comes from God. But God is so big that he will allow things to come into our lives that we would rather he didn't. Because it's the only way sometimes to work that true dependence on the Spirit into our lives and that true abandonment to God, saying, God, whatever, whatever happens, you are the best and you are the only God and I love you for who you are. Give him another praise in this place. So let us go back to James chapter 1, verse 27. Have a little look at this again before we finish today. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When I look at this, it reminds me that true, undefiled, real, real religion is all about relationship. First of all, we discover a relationship with God, who is not just God, but he is Father, and if he's Father, then there must be a Son, and if he is Son, then there must be the Spirit of Love, who is so powerful that he also is a person. So we're talking about God, who is relationship. The ultimate reality of the universe is relationship. The Trinity, God the Father loving God the Son, God the Son loving God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, such the Spirit of love, so powerful, so real, that He, the Spirit of love, is also the third person of the Trinity. And our relationship is with the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. We're caught up in a wonderful, God-initiated, God-inspired, God-focused relationship which means that we live for his pleasure and for his glory. Religion creeps into the Christian church when we think that the Christian faith is about getting what we want, that God exists for our pleasure. No, no, no. We have got it 100% wrong. 100% wrong. It's the other way around. We are created for his pleasure. Instead of getting up in the morning and saying, what pleasure can you bring me today? How about saying, God, what pleasure can I bring you? What glory can I bring you? And this is actually the most fulfilling and liberating experience. We don't do it in order to be fulfilled, but when we do it, we find that we are both liberated and fulfilled. And we also discover that when we're living for God out of this passion, Nothing else will do, only Christ. And it doesn't depend on how well things are going in our life. Of course, we want things to go well. We want to, to succeed. We want to be fulfilled in, in, in the right way with the things around us in the world. God has given us many things to enjoy, but they do not become idols that replace God. The moment we take our eyes off God and put them onto things, we become miserable. So it is before God the Father. Secondly, it is something that is not just given for us, it's given to us for others. It's to be enjoyed with others and for the sake of others. Here we have a very clear teaching from James, and James is very, very, I was going to use the word deceptive, but I don't mean it, don't mean it's deliberately deceiving, but his, his language is deceptively simple. When you dig, you find very simple, basic, concrete statements Underneath it is an amazing, rich, spiritual revelation. So what he's saying here is that you can't love God in isolation. Remember, John says, our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus Christ whom he sent. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray our Father, not just my Father. He's my Daddy. He's my Daddy. Get out of the way. No, he's our Father. We are the family of God. We are the community of God. And the community of the Trinity is being reproduced in our relationships. That's why mere Sunday Christianity is not biblical Christianity. That's why we have a network of cell connections throughout the whole week and, and 
personal relationships and spiritual friendships. We meet daily so that with these networks of, of groups and friends and fellowship, so that we're never more than a day away from encouragement. It's about community. Our love for God is expressed in our relationships with one another. Not just expressed, but developed. Your spirituality can only be developed in relationship. It's not about shutting yourself away and speaking in tongues for six hours and then slapping the postman around the face, because, which, which has happened. I don't, don't know where that came. I'm sure that must have happened somewhere. I, I didn't do it, but... <laughs> So it is about relationship with God, relationship with others, first of all, the Christian community, but it spills over. It spills over because if we learn to love God, we love anything and everything that is made in the image of God, and in particular, as James says, that bits of the expression of God's image which is most hurting, most marginalized, most suffering. And in his day, it was the widows and orphans. Quite kind of old language. Today, widows and orphans is about typesetting and word perfect and, and, and your computer programs. Like you have justification and margins and, and, and spell checks and widows and orphans. But in this day, it was the kind, if you wanted to say, love people who need it the most, you would say, ah, they're the widows and orphans. And because and, they had no social care, no protection, they had no status, and they were totally dependent on, the, on people who would take them in and embrace them. And if we were known for our love to the widows and orphans of today, and if we were demonstrating who Jesus is, not just by declaring good news, but being good news. They'll be spray painting. They'll say, listen, I'm tired of spray painting this church. I want to get on the inside and see what's happening. It'll be like our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, like Joseph, whose fruit, it was like a fruit tree whose branches grew over the walls. It wasn't contained within that community. It overflowed into other community. And when people walking past take the fruit growing over the walls of the church, say, wow, this is delicious. I love it. I'm tasting. What is that taste? And somebody pops up over the wall and says, that's God. That's God. Taste and see. Taste and see. There's more where that comes from. That is the way in which our churches would suddenly make an impact not only would they cease spray painting our walls, the walls themselves will come down. But it hasn't finished yet. Relationship with God, relationship with others, but it comes back also to a relationship with yourself. In other words, what's going on inside you? And he says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. What does this mean? It, sounds, it can be a very religious statement if we don't interpret it right. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Come apart and be separate. Taste not, touch not, smell not. I went to the movies one day, and with one of my assistants coming out of the movies, I think it was a James Bond movie, and I came out and somebody said, one of the church members, I think one of the ushers, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, I'm watch I've watched a movie. You've come to watch a movie? I didn't think a pastor would watch a movie. <laughs> what are you doing here? It doesn't matter, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I expect you to be holy, not me. 
non-religious Christianity. Come on, people. Let's shock the world. You don't have to be religious. In fact, it doesn't even help. Love God and demonstrate His love. Of course, it does say holiness is important, but that begins on the inside. Keep yourself unspotted. It means your relationship with God is rooted in what He's done in you. The new creation life, it releases you from the inside out, from the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It brings you an internal freedom that when you express it on the outside, it's not mere morality, it's not legalism, it's not externalism, it's not showy spirituality. It is the natural overflow of a spirit-filled life. And this keeps us for God. There's a negative side. You have to keep away from the spirit of religion and the spirit of the age, but that's not all. There's a purpose beyond that. We are being preserved from that for God. And so from the inside out, we know that we are God's people. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, we live in a way that honors him and glorifies him. Coming into land, fasten your seatbelts. Conclusion to the series, the graffiti church. How does the world see us? Maybe it's a perception problem. But also we've got to ask ourselves, what message are we conveying by the way we live and talk and express our faith in God? Is it moralism, tut, 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 you terrible people? We don't believe, vote in the government for which one, you're all as bad as each other, all godless people? Or do we get in there and say, come on, let's have some salt and light operating? As I've said, one word I dislike when people use it of me is the word religious. I want to demonstrate non-religious Christianity. I want to show them it's not religion, it's Christ. And the best way of doing that is without words, not trying to be clever, but just simply being who we are, living the reality, which if it truly takes hold of us, will be very visible. God, he's enough. He's more than enough. He's all that I want. He's all that I've ever needed. And people matter. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're not called to religion, but we're called to a relationship based on the truth of who Jesus is, the grace of who Jesus is, and the love who is also Jesus. Lord, for those of us who struggle from time to time with the bondage and burden of thinking we've got to do more to be accepted by God, to keep up with the spiritual Joneses, with the showy spirituality that often is the name of the game. Help us to repent of that. Help us to so see you for who you are, so see us for who you are in us, that we say, God, it's only you. And I want to work out that relationship with you of love, first of all with my Christian friends and neighbors and church community, and then also for that to overflow, to spill over into the lives of others so that they may see 
and believe and put their trust in the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give Jesus a mighty praise. God bless you. 